I'm going to start by asking a couple questions. You've got to answer these truthfully to yourselves. You don't have to answer them out loud. If you want to, you can. That's fine. But um, What do you do? How do you feel? How do you react when someone cuts in front of you in line? You know, you've been waiting there a while, and they cut in front. And, okay. Uh, or what if somebody um, cuts in front of you in traffic? Uh, yeah, now your, your natural reaction is what? I'm going to go cut in front of them or do something or give them a sign or something like that. That's, that's your reaction. That's our natural reaction. Or what if someone, what if you lend to somebody, they borrow from you and they don't pay it back? I mean, that's probably happened to most people here. How do you react to that? Or in an extreme, what if somebody murders a loved one of yours? How do you react to that? You know, our natural tendency is to react in kind, is to react the same way they react to us. That's the natural way fallen man reacts. And that's what Jesus is talking about in this passage here. And he gives these examples. And that's why movies like The Avengers, you know, and stuff, you know, somebody does a wrong to somebody, and man, we get even, right? The Avengers, that's what avenge means. I'm avenging something wrong on you. Or, or movies where, you know, family gets brutally murdered, and the father, someone who has skills beyond our imagination, makes it even. He goes and he gets the murders, and he gets even with them. I mean, we applaud that. That's, that's what we think about. That's how we react to when we are wronged, okay? But is that what Jesus tells us we're supposed to do? Okay, it's not. I mean, he tells us, verse 27, but I say to you who hear, Love your enemies. So again, he starts out this phrase here, I say to those who hear. Uh, again, he's not, his audience, as you recall in the Sermon on the Mount, is composed of the twelve the apostles, many disciples who are those that are learning from him as well, um, those that come there for healing and because they'd heard things that he had done and so they're kind of curious and then those are just, just there in curiosity. They hear a lot of things about Jesus, so they, they want to see what all the commotion is about. So it's kind of a varied audience. So when Jesus said to those who hear, well, certainly most of them hear, physically hear, except me. I don't hear too well, but a lot of, most of us hear the words. But when he's referring to those who hear, he's referring to those that hear and obey, those that have the capacity to hear. As you recall in, um, in Deuteronomy, who gives us that capacity to hear and understand and do his word? Well, it comes from God. It comes from God. In Exodus, he, he told the children of Israel, because they were being very disobedient, he said, but to this day, the Lord has not given to you a heart to understand, eyes to see, or ears to hear. So those ears to hear come from the Lord, to hear and understand. As you recall, last week we, we talked about the two groups uh, that, he, that he placed blessings on and he placed curses on. Those, that were, those people that were part of the kingdom, what they looked like, and those people who were not part of the kingdom, what they looked like. And it was the same two groups at the very end of his sermon that he refers to when he says, to all those who hear and do what I tell you, it's like building your house 
on a rock, on a solid foundation, and when the storms come, you'll be able to weather the storms. But those who hear and don't obey, okay, Jesus is speaking these words to those who hear, can comprehend, understand, and obey the commandment he's given us. So he's given us these four simple commands. Very simple to understand what he's saying, but how easy, how difficult are they to carry out? He says, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. And pray for those who abuse you. So we are supposed to respond differently than the world does. In Matthew um, 5.43, he, uh, uh, he prefaces it by saying, um, he prefaces this same thing about loving your enemies. He's saying, you have heard it said that you should love your neighbor and hate your enemy. You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That is the prevailing idea of the time. And that's really our understanding of what an enemy is. I mean, an enemy is something that someone we do not like. Certainly, we think they hate us and want to do bad to us. So naturally, we kind of hate him back as well. And it was no different back there in, in Old Testament times because the Pharisees, you know, they wanted to be very narrow-minded. They wanted to love their neighbors, the ones that love them, and they wanted to keep, everyone else was basically their enemies. So they had a very narrow thing because, because remember, they, they were trying to work their way. They were trying to get this righteousness, and the word said you're supposed to love your neighbor, okay, love your neighbor, um, but who's my neighbor? I mean, as you recall, um, Jesus in the parable of the Good Samaritan, you remember how all that came about? It was a, a lawyer came up to Jesus and said, okay, what do I need to do to have eternal life? And, um, and uh, he said, have you, read the, the, have you read the Bible? Have you read the commandments? What do you do? And he said, he says, yes, I have. I'm going to love the Lord with all my heart, soul, soul, and I'm going to love my neighbors myself. And Jesus said, you do well. That's good. But then the, the lawyer is saying, but, but who's my neighbor? Who do I, you know, he's trying to justify himself. I need to know who I'm supposed to love and who I'm not. And then Jesus embarks on the parable of the Good Samaritan. As you recall, a man was robbed along the road, uh, left for dead. The religious men of the time, the Levites, the priest, walk right by. Okay, he's, he's not like me. He's not my neighbor. I'm not going to help him. But then the Samaritan, who was thought of as an enemy to the Jews, uh, you know, a half-breed, one that kind of didn't have anything to do with Jewish religion, he's the one that stops and helps him. And so at the end, Jesus says to the Lord, well, uh, which one was the neighbor? Which one was, who is your neighbor? Which, which, show, which is the one that, that you are showing mercy to? And he goes, the one that showed mercy is that man's neighbor. And so Jesus was saying here, he was pretty much obliterating the lines that you should treat your neighbor any different than you treat your enemy. Again, when Jesus teaches, it's always countercultural. It's always opposite of what our nature wants us to do. But he said, states it clearly that everybody is your neighbor. So, again, four simple commands, but how easy are they to carry out? Um, the reason they're not 
and we all know this for well. Those of us that are um, pretty much understand how depraved we are and understand our natural nature that is an enmity to God, um, understand, and, and Paul teaches us, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God because they're folly to him. So the natural person, the natural man, cannot do that. But he, what about for, for those of the redeemed? What about for those of the kingdom of God? Again, we still have that old nature back there, and it comes to the surface, especially in things like this. Uh, and Paul addresses that in Romans 7, you know, when he says, um, For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. So he's battling that, that nature, that sinful nature that we all still have, um, and it's still there. But we don't give in to that old nature. We are a new creation. We have a new nature that we're not bound to that sin anymore. But nonetheless, when we're talking about our enemies and stuff, comes out. That nature just comes out. Um, and the interesting thing about hating your enemies is even in the Old Testament, uh, God said you're not supposed to do bad to your enemies. You're not supposed to do bad. In Exodus, the command is here, if you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall bring it back to him. And if you see the donkey of one who hates you, Lying down under its burden, you shall refrain from leaving him. You shall rescue it with him. So you're supposed to do good even though they're your enemies. Even in the Old Testament, it tells us that. And then Proverbs 25, 21, he says, If your enemy is hungry, you give him something to eat. If he's thirsty, you give him water to drink. So the idea of hating your enemies is something that we naturally have inside us it's something that in Jesus' time, the Pharisees made a big deal about it because they didn't want to love their enemies. They wanted to love those they wanted to love, which is what our natural inclination is. Um, but we have to understand that our enemies, even if they are enemies, the retaliation, the vengeance is the Lord's. It's not up to us. We do not retaliate to them in kind, no matter what they do to us. So, and it's interesting how the how love and hate, you know, in the uh, in the Bible, it's 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 those are the two extremes of our emotions. I would say love and hate; those are opposites, right? And Jesus makes it clear that in this world, you know, that if we're part of Him, if we're part of the kingdom, that the world is going to hate us. It's different. Uh, in John 15, He says. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Verse 18, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. And if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world and I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So love and hate, certainly nothing new. It's, part, it's probably the strongest emotions that we as human beings have. So the natural tendency, as I stated, is to respond in kind. So what, is, what does Jesus say here in verse 27 again? Love your enemies. Do good to those that hate you. Right, do good. That Greek word, kalos, doesn't just mean 
send them a thank you card or something for being bad at me or something like that. You know, it means to do something that's inherently good and that's beneficial to them. So do good. They hate you. And your natural tendency is to not do good to them. But you are supposed to do good. That's what he's teaching us to do. And so what, how, does that, how does that look like? I mean, what does that look like to, to, to us? Um, well, uh, you seek what is best for them. You seek what, what would benefit them. Again, they hate you, but you're going to do good to them. You seek what is good to them. And what would be the very best thing you could do for them? You could tell them the gospel. Okay, that would be the very best thing you can do. Maybe that's the time to do it. Maybe that's the means by which that person will become saved. Uh, either way, it reflects God in you when you act that way to someone who hates you. Um, so you do good to them. And it says you bless those who are cursing you. So blessing is a verbal response to someone who's cursing you, which is a verbal thing as well, too. Um, so when you bless them, so you do not react to the one who is cursing you in kind. You do not curse them back, but you bless them. You bless them. How hard is that to be? Think about this. This is someone's all over you and cussing you out, and, and, and what do you do? You bless them. You, you bless them. You do not respond to them in kind because that's what natural man does. That's what the world does. That's what the majority of people do. But Christ is not you. That's not what you do. Um, now you can warn them, you know, while you're blessing them, you can warn them of their, um, of their sins, but you need to do that in a um, caring, loving way. You don't do it in a condemning, judging manner. Um, you know, Paul said, I, do all, I am all things to all men, so that by all means I might save some. He had a heart to save people, and no matter what it took, he could do that. And this may be one of those means he's talking about. So, and then he says, pray for those who abuse you. Now, that's probably a little bit easier to do because you can get yourself back from a situation. You can pray for that person. But we're talking about praying again for the good for him, praying for good things on him, not praying that a rock's going to fall on his head or something like that. You want to pray for what would be beneficial to him. All these are ways in which uh, we are to treat the outside world, the outside fallen world. And then in verse uh, 29 and 30, he tells us how do we react to our enemies? How do we react when we are wronged by someone. He goes here, a couple of examples he gives. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. Again, that doesn't mean that if someone punches you in the face, that you can't punch them back. Okay, I mean, there's a, there's a self-preservation mode that we have. It doesn't mean that if you're attacked by someone, that you just let him kill you. That's not what Jesus is talking about here at all. Slapping on the cheek, okay, most of you have seen old movies, that was a sign of an insult to someone. So if someone slaps you on the cheek, slaps you across the face, um, it's like an insult, right? I mean, he's insulting you. Uh, and so you've seen that on movies, you know, people, and then they challenge him and they do the sword fight or something like that. But it's, 
It's an insult. So that's, that's kind of the picture here that he's painting. Um, and, uh, and something like this kind of happened to Jesus in, in John chapter 18 after Jesus was arrested and the high priest was questioning him about what were you teaching there in the synagogue every day? I mean, what were you doing in the temple? Well, tell me about this. And, and Jesus kind of answered him in a manner that says, ask the people that were there what I was teaching them. I mean, I was out in the open. It was public. Everybody heard me. And one of the scribes and whacked Jesus. And he didn't, you know, turn the other cheek or anything like that. But he answered him in a manner that was calm and and kind of diffuse the situation. So what, what he's saying here, if someone insults you, you don't escalate it, you don't strike them back. You know, let them insult you. Let them take, take it, you know, wear it, I guess, in the vernacular of the time, kind of what you do. And then from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. So, you know, that's a little bit, uh, we have to understand again the times as well because today if someone took our coat um, Well, I got five other in the closet. I mean, I don't need that coat. It's it's all right for them to do it But in Jesus's time a cloak was a necessity a cloak was not only what protected them from the elements It would also be their bedding at nighttime uh, It was a necessity to survive uh, in that day and time um, and in uh, Exodus 22, it just kind of gives you how important a cloak was back then. Because it kind of speaks to what Jesus is saying. He says, this is a command, this is one of the laws of Moses. If you ever take your neighbor's cloak in pledge, and a lot of times a, clo a cloak is so valuable, they would give it in pledge for, for, to borrow something like that. So if you ever take your neighbor's cloak in, cloak in pledge, you shall return it to him before the sun goes down. Hmm. For that is his only covering, and it is his cloak for his body, and what else will he sleep? And if he is a poor man, you, you shall not sleep in his pledge. You, are, you shall restore to him the pledge as the sun sets, that he may sleep in his cloak. So the cloak was a necessity. So what Christ is saying here, if someone takes away your necessities, even, what does he say to do? Give them your tunic, your undergarments as well. So, so again, it's, it's kind of like what he said. If they insult you, you do not respond. And kind of, if they take away something, that's okay. You offer them more. You offer them more. You're giving. You're giving. You do not respond. That's my cloak. I need it back now. Okay, that's the way the world, that's the way we would think. You're, you're probably right in saying that or justified in saying that. But that's not what Jesus is telling us we do. And then he says in verse 30, Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. So give to everyone who begs from you. Um, that kind of is a thing. Does that mean we give to everyone who's on the street corner? Um, I don't know, maybe. Um, but this, in the context that Christ is, is talking about, Matthew makes it a little bit clear, because he says, Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. So, begging and borrowing uh, are uh, evidence of a need. That person is in need of something. 
Um, now, if you are going to give to someone who begs, you probably don't have much of an expectation of getting paid back. If you give to someone who's borrowing, you do have an expectation of getting something back, right? So he kind of puts these in the same, in the same category, begging and borrowing. Um, so, so what he says here in verse 30, give to everyone who begs, from the one who takes your goods away, do not demand them back. So what he's saying, if someone takes your goods, someone borrows from you and doesn't pay you back, doesn't give it back to you, someone borrows your cloak and doesn't give it back to you, how do you respond? It says, you don't demand it back. No, you just, like, like Paul, in, 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 uh, when he's speaking of uh, uh, believers, suing believers in Corinthians that we talked about, he said, well, why not just accept the wrong? Why not just be defrauded? He goes, that's the more godly way of accepting that. You don't sue them. You don't demand them back. You know, you just accept it. You, you, you lend them. You borrow to them. But don't demand it back if they don't pay. And he will, he will expand on that in just a minute as well. And it's interesting here, uh, a quote from R.C.H. Lenski says this about that. He says, the disciple loses less by letting his things be wrongfully taken than he would by, with a selfish heart, clamor to have them returned. So you lose less by being defrauded by someone not returning things than you would if you, with your selfish heart, are demanding them back. So acting that way to someone benefits both the person that you are exhibiting this activity to, exhibiting this conduct to, and yourself as well. Because if you're constantly demanding something back, there's something wrong with your heart. It's selfish. It's selfish. And then it demonstrates to that person who you are. It demonstrates the kingdom love. It demonstrates that it's different than the way the world sees things. Then he goes on in verse 31, the golden rule, okay? As you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. Now, the golden rule in, in every religion and every philosophy is written there in some form or fashion, but it's always different. It's always in a different manner. It's always in a negative sense. And so what, what Christ says here, do unto others as you would wish them to do unto you, it doesn't speak at all about their response, that you, you do good like you'd want them to do to you, but it doesn't matter how they react to that. It's all about you showing God to them. That's the golden rule. But in, in, in philosophies which are fallen and other religions, like Greek philosopher Isocrates, not Socrates, but Isocrates, like I said, he says, do not do to others that which angers you when they do it to you. So you don't do something to someone because you know it makes you mad when they do it to you. So it's kind of like, it, it's all about me. I don't want them to do it to me because it makes me mad. So don't, I'm not going to do it to them. That's kind of the, 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 the gist of that. And Confucius said, never impose on others what you would not choose for yourself. Okay, so I'm not going to do that to someone else because I don't like it done to me. That's the same thing. It's a self-serving golden rule, basically. Um, 
Rabbi Hillel summed up the whole Torah by saying this, that which is hateful to you, do not do to your fellow. Again, it's kind of all about you. You don't do it because it's hateful, you know, because you don't like it, basically. So they're all more self-serving philosophies than what Christ says. He says, do good to others, even if they don't respond to you, even if they don't do good to you. You do as you would want them to do to you. So it's a little bit different. Christ steps out. The kingdom is different than the world. The kingdom is different than all philosophies, and the kingdom is different than all other religions as well. And then he contrasts, in verse 32 through 35, he contrasts the difference between kingdom love and human love, or kingdom conduct and human conduct. And we touched on that briefly a minute ago, but let me just read it. Verse 32, For if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. Now, don't you find it a whole lot easier to like people who like you? I mean, is that our natural tendencies? Yeah, of course it is. Uh, and if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. Now, you got to respond. Sinners here is referring to unregenerate lost people. You know, we're all still sinners, but he's talking to sinners as those that, those that are of the world, that still have, uh, that are not regenerated by the Spirit. So it isn't, isn't it really easy to do something nice to someone if they do something nice to you? Yes, much easier to do that. But that's the way the world is, right? You know, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. That's, that's the way it works, okay? And if you lend for, to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. Now, that word amount is not really in the Greek. It's to get back the same. So you could, you could, yes, say you lend them to get paid back, but you lend to people so that maybe when you're in need, they'll lend to you to get back the same. They're going to treat you the same way you treat them. Again, lending here is in the context of a need. It's not like the context of a, um, a loan for a business or something like that, but it's in the context of need, necessities. You lend to them because they really need it. So what's he saying in those three verses there? He said, well, you know, this is what the world looks like. It's easy to love those who love you. It's easy to do good to those who do good. It's easy to lend if you think you're going to get treated the same way in return. But he says, what credit is that to you? What benefit is that to you? As a believer, how does that magnify God? How does that show them the kingdom? How does that reward you in any way in the kingdom if you act just like the world acts? Because remember what he just told us to do? He didn't tell us to love those who love us. He said, love those who hate us. You know, that's different. That's a whole lot different. And that can't be done by the natural man. That cannot be done in our own human nature. That is a supernatural gift of God that only those that are regenerated can do. So he says, if you're just acting like the world, loving those who love you, you know, doing good to those you, you're not, you know, you just look like the world. You're not manifesting God to anybody at all. You're not manifesting my love to those that need it most, probably. 
Um, and then verse 35, I think, is really the key to what he's talking about here. He says, so even if you do all these things, it's no credit to you, but this is what you're supposed to do. Verse 35, love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. So we are to not only just love those who love us, not only do good to those who do good to us, not only lend to those who, who can pay us back. He says this, you are different. You love those who hate you. You do good to those who hate you. You lend to those even if you don't expect anything in return. That's your, that magnifies what the kingdom is about and magnifies God's love to an outside world. And it's interesting when you look at verse 35 as well, you can look at it and say, um, expecting nothing in return to just refer to the lending. But really, if you look at it, love your enemies, do good, and lend. All three of those, you don't expect anything in return. In other words, you're loving your enemies. You don't expect them to love you back. You love them because God said you love them. That's what you do. You don't ex you're not doing it to get something in return like the world does, okay? You do good, not so that they're going to do good to you, because they may never do good to you. I mean, they, they may remain your enemies. Um, expect nothing in return. That's, that's the way the kingdom love is shown to an outside world. He says, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Now, your reward being great, this may refer to your reward in heaven, but it doesn't say that. It just says your reward will be great. It may refer to rewards here on earth as well, as he will go on in, in the next few verses to kind of mention something. But nonetheless, you act like this, your reward will be great, you, and you will be sons of the Most High. Obviously, we know a sons of the Most High, that will be children of God, that will be the redeemed, that will be those that are regenerated. And the reason I think he plays sons of the Most High is because you're, by acting this way, by loving those who do not love you, uh, you are representing God. That is, that is proving, demonstrating who you are in there, Okay. And the reason he does that, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. And so he's talking about he, God, in, is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. So you're representing him because you are acting like him. Matthew kind of makes it a little bit clear um, when he says in, uh, yeah, in, verse, in the parallel passage in verse 545, he says, So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he, God, makes his sun rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. So God has mercy. God shows his common grace even on those people who are evil, ungrateful, who revile him. And when you act this way, you, you are showing the way God is. That's what you're showing him. God does that. You do that. We are supposed to, as part of our, part of our sanctity, as part of our calling, as part of our, uh, what we're supposed to do. In verse 36, he says, be merciful even as your father is merciful. Well, you got to consider, you know, he's merciful to those who hate him by not 
taking them out when they, he justly could and condemning them to heaven. He was merciful on each one of us because up until the point where we were saved and regenerated, he would have been justified in sending us to eternal damnation as well. God is merciful. And when you act this way to others, you are exhibiting him in you. So then he goes on to uh, judging. Judging. This is, this is a good thing. And this is really hard for me to understand, but after doing some reading, I, I think I understand it better. And we've all heard this. Judge not, and you won't be judged. Condemn not, you won't be condemned. Um, forgive, and you'll be forgiven. Those are great commands, are they not? And you can look at that and say, judge not, and you will not be judged. So I guess we have to be clear. Remember, this, this command here from Jesus is in the context of us interacting with an unbelieving world. Right? That's, that's everything he's talked about to this point, is this is how you should act to an unbelieving world. So this kind of follows along that pattern. And so he says, judge not, and you will not be judged. Well, judge by who? Um, you know, you can look at that and say, well, it's talking about God not judging. Well, no. You know, God said he's judging all of us. Okay, even the saved, he is, there's a judgment day where we will be judged. It's just that what we have done has been covered by the blood of Jesus. So he will be judged. So, so we will all be judged and, and condemned not, and you won't be condemned. Well, Romans 8, 1, for those of us in Christ, there's therefore no condemnation. So we're, we don't have that combination, condemnation, but it's not because we didn't condemn somebody else. It's not in response to that. It's, in response, it's because we believe in Jesus, and he is our Savior, and his, die, his death paid the atoning price for that. And forgive, and you will be forgiven. So if you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. Again, we're forgiven not on the basis of what we do. We're forgiven based on what Christ has done. So when you look at this, he's talking about this is how you treat, this is how you, again, act towards an unbelieving world, and how the unbelieving world, because it reacts the way you treat it, you know, if you love them, they love you. You do good, they do good. This is how they'll react back to you. So if you read it with those eyes, it says, judge not, and you won't be judged. So if you're treating people in a judgmental manner, kind of like you're judge, and you're going to condemn them, you know, they're going to respond back to you in the same way. But if you don't, if you're in a non-judgmental manner, you don't condemn them, you forgive them, they are more than likely to respond that way back to you. Again, that's the way the fallen world works. You know, you, you treat me this way, well, maybe I'll treat you back that way. Now, that doesn't always happen, but that's what he's saying. If you do that to, uh, to a uh, lost world, they are more than likely to return that, and they return it in the measure that you give it to them. That's what he's saying. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put in your lap. Now that's something that, that the original audience would understand. Um, and some of you may have heard the analogy what that's talking about. But if you, it's, it's, he's talking about how you treat others and with what measure you treat others, they will treat you back. And he said the measure, so uh, it's, a, it's a describing, like at the market, if you uh, uh, 
bought something, say corn or something like that in the market, and you say, I want to buy this much corn, you give them a container, that would be the measure. That's how much you want. That's how much corn I want. That's how much I'm paying for. Okay, so, so the idea here is at the market, what they do is they, they fill it up about three quarters away and kind of shake it around so it all kind of settled down to the bottom. They pour in some more in a big cone and kind of press it down so we get the maximum amount in there. And then maybe stick his thumb, make some holes in there, push it in there a little bit more, and then fill it up and kind of top it off. So that you get exactly what you pay for. You get what you had given them. And so that's what he's saying here. If you act this way, you will, they will return to you in measure how much you do that to them. Now, again, that doesn't always happen. Uh, but it says, for with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. Um, so that doesn't always happen in a fallen world, but what, what he's saying here is that if you treat other people the way you would want to be treated, I guess a golden, golden rule, you don't judge them, you don't condemn them, uh, you forgive them, you give, you're generous, those people will more than likely respond to you in a similar manner and thereby being uh, available, thereby maybe listening to what you say more. That way you can evangelize to them more because they've seen really what you're all about before you even open your mouth. Okay, that is, that is what he is saying here as well. So, so the world here, the, the, Jesus is telling us we, we are not of the world. We have a different love. We function on a different level. And that can only be done through the Spirit of God because our remaining flesh is still back there wanting to uh, hate those who hate us, uh, give only to those who give us. We want to respond like the world does, but Jesus says, no, we're different. We, we love those who are enemies. We love those who persecute us. We treat them. We want their best for them. Um, we are not like the world. We are not like the world. Um, probably the best story that y'all, to close this out, um, you probably have heard about uh, the, the five pilots back in the 1950s who uh, were killed while on a missionary um, uh, mission in Ecuador. Uh, one of them being Jim Elliott and one of them Nate Saint and then there were three others that were killed. And that, but that's kind of just the beginning of the story. The, the story really begins when Jim Elliott's wife and Nate Saint's sister Rachel and, their, and uh, Jim Elliott's daughter went to live with that tribe and evangelized that tribe. Now think about that. They just, that was my question earlier, someone who murdered a loved one of yours, how do you love them back? How do you do what is best for them? How do you do that? Well, this, you know, the story goes on, they evangelized that tribe. Uh, that tribe evangelized other tribes. Um, Nate Saint's son, Steve, was like three years old when his dad got killed. Um, and when he was about 10, he came to live with that, that tribe as well. And as a matter of fact, he was baptized by the man who killed his dad. That's pretty awesome. I mean, that's spreading the kingdom word. And then it goes further. Uh, Steve Saint had a family of his own eventually. And uh, when they got old enough, he, Steve always was involved in that tribe and coming back and forth. But when Steve had a son, um, he would bring him back to the tribe and he would um, 
uh, he would interact, and there was this old man there that, that, that in the tribe they called him Grandpa. Well, Steve's son, you know, didn't have a grandpa because he was, he was killed. And so he kind of befriended him as well. Um, and it turned out that that grandpa was the one that killed his dad as well, too. And he baptized Steve Saint's son as well, too. And then when it came time when Steve Saint's son was graduating from high school, he said, what do you want for a graduation present? He said, I want grandpa to come to my graduation. Well, Grandpa's in this little tribe in Ecuador. I don't think he's got a passport or anything like that. I'm not sure how that's going to happen. Well, somehow they made it work, and he did. But that, that's a span from the time they were killed and the time Jamelia's wife went there, 50 to 60 years. And, and it's evangelized that whole area. It is just, it's the, probably the perfect demonstration of loving your enemies. I'm sure there's more, but that I can think of. So just wanted to leave you with that. Um, so with that, let's pray, okay?